Welcome into another Sunday edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I am Woody Womack, joined this week by a special guest live from uh, the 504, Sam Spiegelman from TigerDetails.com. Sam, how's it going? It's going well, man. How about you? Oh, it's great. I've just been, uh, we've both been running around watching the NFL. I usually don't watch the NFL at all. So uh, I found myself uh, checking out a few games today. uh, And I know you just were out and about. But of course, everybody is on here to hear us talk about college football. And you were on the scene of the biggest game of the week, or at least one of the most surprising results, I would say, is LSU handles Georgia. It wasn't even, the game was really not in doubt for long stretches. I think Georgia scored and they got within two scores. And I was like, oh, maybe it's not over. Uh, And then before I even could look back, LSU had kind of extended it out. Um, So kind of tell us what it was like being there, how it compared to some other crazy LSU atmospheres. Obviously, it wasn't a night game, but uh, just kind of give us a rundown of, of, you know, did you expect LSU to win by 20? and, And how surprising was it as it was going along? No, I predicted them to win by 24, so I was a little let down that they didn't live up to expectations. But no, before game, you could tell it was a it was a it was a different sort of environment. Um, the best environment I could ever recall was uh, Ed Orgeron's uh, interim game uh, against Alabama when they came in for a night game, and that that stadium was rocking that night. Now this wasn't didn't have the same electricity in there, but it was as packed, maybe more packed. Um, than any game in the last five or so years, to be perfectly honest. Um, a lot of that was was a, was a sea of red. The Georgia fans traveled extremely well for this game, and it looked like it was about 50-50, maybe a little bit more in favor of the Bulldogs. Um, LSU has, in, in its best games so far this season, against Miami, um, against Auburn, against you know even Southeastern Louisiana Tech, they've gotten off to fast starts. They got off to an incredible start against Georgia, Um, But the issue, obviously, all season long has been their ability to to maintain those leads and kind of finish on a positive note. You know, every single impressive win they've had has kind of either been a Cole Tracy field goal uh, to win it or, you know, the team fires back with 14, 16, 17 unanswered points and LSU holds on for the win. Um, LSU handled Georgia in the first half. Um, Georgia showed one or two drives where uh, Elijah Holyfield was kind of running over the LSU defense. And then they, they, they leaned on Jake Fromm and LSU's defense found its pass rush and DBU kind of came full circle. Um, they had a fantastic game kind of handling Georgia's wide receivers. Um, Georgia was able to kind of cut the deficit to 10 in the third quarter. And it all started when uh, they had a punt return and it, it just kind of seemed to be like, you know, special teams, big special teams plays are always part of a great game or a great comeback. And I was thinking, okay, well, here comes number two, the number two team in the country. But LSU rebounded, and every time Georgia would, would throw a punch back, LSU answered. And um, to their credit, that was their best complete game of the season. I thought they won on offense, defense, and special teams. Um, great plays from their most important players. Joe Burrow, Devin White, Grant Delpit, Greedy Williams, they all came to play. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire helped the running game. Justin Jefferson stepped up in the receiving game. Cole Tracy, again, uh, I think he had four or five field goals connected on every single one. And they played a sound football game to the end. And alas, Georgia goes down. So we look at you mentioned Holyfield. Okay. You know, obviously he is more of a traditional Georgia running back. He kind of, I mean, he runs angry. I think we'd all say that he only got seven carries. Were, were you, were you surprised? I mean, it's not like Swift had a bad game. He still averaged six yards a carry. Were you surprised that it wasn't the other way around where 
Holyfield was getting the bulk of the touches instead of Swift. Absolutely. Every time he touched the ball, he made noise. Um, there's there's going to be one highlight play. I'm sure if it's not out there, it will be. Uh, Elijah ran over LSU safety John Battle, who's um, he's the veteran on that defense. And, and Elijah, I mean, he looked like his dad just going for the knockout punch. And it, it was ugly. And, and when he started getting going, obviously you feed a, a guy who runs downhill like that. And, and I think he was responsible for the only score, the only touchdown for Georgia. He was... He was outstanding, but like you said, seven carries was not enough for him. DeAndre Swift in the passing game was really effective. Um, you know, Fromm looked his way on on a lot of third downs, and he came up with a lot of them, um, especially when Georgia started to march back. But um, give LSU's defense credit because they, even though Elijah ate up yards, <laughs> the offensive coordinator did not call a lot of plays for for him, and that maybe that was a, a blessing for for LSU in disguise because Elijah had his way with the defense when he had his opportunities. Yeah, obviously LSU got up early, and this what's what's crazy is this game was so like not close that that it was on my third TV, and I never turned the sound on because I looked over and it was just like okay, LSU is winning sixteen to nothing at halftime. Like I don't even need to to turn this on really because they were never driving. I had the Oregon game on one, I had UCF Memphis on the other, and then I forget what other game was going on. Uh, I have a five screen setup. If you didn't know, Sam, that's a little uh, bit of a humble brag, but I will <laughs> think <laughs> that shows you where my priorities are uh, in life. But uh, so that's what I'm saying is that like, you know, normally the Georgia game or, you know, a, a team, especially of, you know, number two against number 13 coming into the game would have been featured, but it was just like, it just never felt close. And th- I think that LSU getting that early lead took Georgia out of their game plan. I mean, from throw 34 times. I mean, that's, cr- that, that's a very high number for them in a game, uh, any time to have them pass more than they're throwing. Obviously they're behind. I think it's skewed a little bit, but I just think, you know, you play this game 10 times. This is probably, you know, it might be five and five or it might be six and four in favor of LSU. I just think the way it started out, LSU grabbing the lead just sort of had it in their defense, obviously shutting down Georgia early, just kind of took the Bulldogs out of their game plan. And I, I texted, uh, I think it was Dave Lackford. And I said, I feel like Richard LeCount has 15 tackles because every single time LSU runs the ball, you know, uh, Edwards Hilaire or whoever is getting to like the third level of the defense. I mean, yeah, you, you do you watch from down on the field? Do you take photos? No, I watch from the press box. Oh, um, okay. Did you, you know, get that vibe though? That they basically it seemed like. I mean, in J.R. Reed, the other safety for Georgia had nine tackles, and LeCount had seven. Tyson Campbell had eleven. I mean, anytime your defense or your defensive backs are three out of your four, you know, leading tacklers, that's not a good sign. No, no, and and you're absolutely right. I think for LSU, and and this is this is so cliche, but it but it reigns true. It's the first time all year that they've started the same offensive line combination two games in a row. And what's a little bit strange is their starting left guard, uh, Adrian McGee, came out sometime in the first quarter. I think it was a second series or the third series, replaced with a freshman, Chasen Hines, very highly regarded, coming out of Marshall High School. Actually, came to LSU to play defensive tackle. And they moved him to offensive guard because of so much attrition they've had up front. Um, but Sadiq Charles back for a second straight game. And they manhandled Georgia's defensive front. And, and going into the game, you know, Orgeron glowed about Georgia's defensive front. But Joe Burrow said that it was the secondary they were the most worried about. But they, they handled their business up front. And I think the, the continuity up front made a huge difference because Clyde had a, went over 100 yards, had 
probably a career game. Um, I have to go back to the stats and double check that. Nick Brosette picked up first down after first down every time he got called. Um, and Joe Burrow really gashed him, gashed Georgia's defense with with a couple of bootlegs. And he had, I think, 59 or 60 yards rushing um, and two touchdowns, especially, and two of them came in, you know, fourth and one or fourth and two situations. And you kind of knew they were either going to hand it off or or go with Joe Burrow on a, on a sneak or a bootleg. And Georgia had no answers for them. It seemed like Georgia's defense did not come to play. And LSU, with a lead, got a little bit more aggressive on defense. Um, they sent more more blitzers. I mean, they didn't they didn't record a sack against Florida last week. Um, that was the first time that an LSU defense did not record a sack since December of 2014. Orgeron wasn't even the defensive line coach at this time. Ed Orgeron was in his home in Mandeville uh, in between stints at USC and LSU before he joined Les Miles' staff in 2015. So that's how far away it's been since LSU did not get a sack in a game. Um, they came through with four sacks or, or maybe five. I think it was four. And with the lead, you know, Dave Aranda got a little bit uh, – you know, a little bit exotic, if you will, and and got after Jake Fromm, and that's that's the that's the prototypical way to rattle a really good quarterback is is throw as many guys at him as possible. Tell the Giants win those Super Bowls against the Patriots, and it worked to perfection. Yeah, and that's always been the book on Fromm, even dating back to high school when he would play a team that could really actually pressure him and take him out of his comfort zone. Uh, he struggled, and you know now the Georgia fans see. I mean, yesterday on my you know, my little localized uh, trends on Twitter. I mean, Justin Fields was was trending. It was something like 25,000 tweets. Um, so it seems like, you know, and somebody yelled at me the other night at a game when I suggested that Fields should play more just because I think they run better when he's in the game. Um, they were like, what does Fromm do to get benched? I'm like, well, yeah, not, nothing. But, I mean, the reality is they got to find a way to get Fields involved more and now Georgia fans, I think, feel that way, and they want him in the game. Do you think it? it do you think you could? We might see that going forward. Or is it? Is it? Are, are Georgia fans playing with fire, benching a guy who you know came in and took you to obviously with one play away from winning the national championship? Yeah, I mean, if if Kirby Smart thought that the freshman Justin Fields, who you and I have both seen up close and personal a lot last year, and was easily the best quarterback in a really talented crop a year ago, in my opinion. Um, if, if Kirby Smart thought that that guy could come in and win the game, why would he hesitate to put him in? I think it's, it's easy for fans to call for the backup quarterback. Everywhere in the country, the backup quarterback is very popular when the starter struggles. But Jake Fromm gave Georgia the best chance to win yesterday, um, but it wasn't enough. I think Justin Fields came in for, for four or five design run plays. They did not allow him to throw a pass, and I think that's the biggest issue is that Fields is not ready – to throw the ball like Jake Fromm was a year under his belt, um, led Georgia to the national championship game. You know, it's easy to say that Justin Fields, you know, dominated at the high school level, but now he's going going against an LSU defense that's ransacking the quarterback, and it's a different it's a different speed for him to get accustomed to. And on the road in the second half with a a fourteen point deficit or a sixteen point deficit, and you know. Michael Divinity and Andre Anthony and Rashard Lawrence and Brandon Pahoko coming at you. It's hard to say that Justin Fields would have, you know, picked up and, and made done a lot better than Jake Fromm did. Yeah, it's crazy when you look at LSU's defense and just the waves of four and five star guys that they're sending at people. And I agree, it would have been a tough spot to put Fields in there on the road. We saw even Trevor Lawrence, uh, who eventually took the job from Kelly Bryant struggle in the second half, uh, 
against Texas A&M in a tough environment. So I think we'll see more fields. I do think that fields is a better, you know, people are acting like, you know, Justin Fields is, uh, you know, I, I don't know, a quarterback who can't throw. I mean, he's definitely, I don't, I'm not even sure if we ranked him as a dual threat. I mean, he did run a little bit, but in high school, he was a pass first guy on his offense. So you know, I'd I'd, I'd kind of like to see Kirby turn him loose a little bit and let him throw when he comes into the game because I think I'd have to look on the season. I'll, I'll look at their stats while we're talking. But, I mean, he hasn't had that many opportunities. So he's 18 of 25 on the year for two touchdowns. Obviously, that's mostly garbage time. Uh, and then he has 18 carries for 136 yards and three touchdowns, which, which is impressive considering that includes – sacks and his longest run is only 17 yards so he's definitely can impress with his legs i just don't think he should be pigeonholed so uh we'll move off this game but last thing do you think lsu still has a chance can they win out i mean personally i think they're a little too inconsistent and then maybe this is like a they're a little bit ahead of schedule especially considering they're going to have burrow back next year but I mean, do you think they can run the table? Uh, you know, Mississippi State is going to be a tough game. And then, of course, right after that, the bye and then Alabama. And then, they, you know, they have a couple easy games and they close with A&M. you think they're consistent enough to go into, uh, you know, run the table the rest of the year? Their consistency definitely worries me. Um, honestly, I'm actually more worried about the Mississippi State game than I am about Alabama. And I know that sounds absolutely terribly insane to say, but Mississippi State has a lot of kids from Louisiana on that team. Mississippi State always gives LSU tr- pro- uh, problems. And last year, it was the the mismatch in the trenches that forced Ed Orgeron to go look for Juco linebackers, Juco defensive linemen, Juco offensive linemen, and say, we're not, we're not tough enough as a team um, to go toe-to-toe in the SEC and compete for championships. And that's what why Damian Lewis and Badara Traore and Trevez Moore are on this team because of that Mississippi State loss. Um, you know, obviously they have to come to Death Valley and Mississippi State is not Mississippi State is a talented team at number 22 in the country um, but they're probably not the level that we expected them to be at the start of the season or before the season um, so if LSU can handle business I think a week off to then get ready for Alabama so two weeks to prepare for Alabama and obviously conversely you could look at Alabama looking at two weeks to get ready for LSU is a scary sight for anybody but for two weeks to, for LSU to focus, I mean, we saw how LSU kind of ran over Miami to open the season. And LSU has been an underdog in all of these ranked-on-ranked games. I think with two weeks, you're going to get LSU's best against Alabama. And whether that's good enough or not, I mean, that'll be determined in 60 minutes in Tiger Stadium. But if they avoid that inconsistent play against that they've shown against Florida, that they've showed it against Southeastern, against Louisiana Tech, and the second halves of games against Auburn and, and Miami, if they play another full 60 minutes at their best, they should beat Mississippi State, and they should go toe-to-toe with Alabama. Can Coach O motivate them and get them as you know up to that level for 120 minutes the next two weeks remains to be seen. What's crazy is I bet if if, if you would have told me uh, LSU will be six and one and inside the top ten, or Coach Orgeron will be fired by now I, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, I might have predicted that he would be fired by now. I completely agree. Um, so, so that shows you, you know, how much I, I, I was fully expecting Miami to come out and kill them in the opening week and then just be a landslide from there. Instead, I mean, I think their over under in Vegas was like seven 
and now they're you know six and one. So right. uh, uh, shows how you know we weren't the only ones who thought that. And Georgia, I think they'll be fine. I mean, you know, I, I had been saying all along I expected them to be undefeated going into the Auburn game, and that would be their toughest game. Well, now Auburn is falling apart. Obviously, the Florida game. <laughs> who would have thought that you know Florida and Kentucky uh, is what they got to survive now to get through the year? I think if they get through with one loss. Obviously, they still easily win that East Division, which is which is down. But if they lose to Florida, all bets are off because both Florida and Kentucky uh, con- control their. Actually, Kentucky controls their own destiny. Uh, Florida will if they beat uh, Georgia, assuming that Kentucky loses again before the year is up. So um, now, real quick, before we move into the games, you have a short story to tell. So, so what happened? You you mentioned <laughs> you got into a scrap a scrap with a with a police officer in Baton Rouge yesterday. Yeah, and let me preface this by saying that I respect police officers. You know, in case anyone is is questioning that, and I think they should be role models. You know, I think that that kids should aspire to be like the policemen in their community when they grow up. Having said that. Um, you know, we all know that with the Georgia traveled really well um, to, to Louisiana. They were in New Orleans all week. I saw them and they were they were up early going to Baton Rouge on Saturday. So I, too, left early. Um, of course, there was traffic. And there's a certain point like you and I understand that I need to get to the game and I need to see what everyone is looking like in warmups. You know, who's playing, who isn't playing? Are there any changes? That is just part of why I get a paycheck every every couple of weeks. Uh, time was ticking down. LSU was was off the bus and going through their Tiger Walk, and I was I was less than a mile away from campus um, because of you know traffic cones and cutting off different blocks. One of my sneak sneaky ways to get closer to the parking lot was cut off. I had to take the longer way, which is fine. Now, this is on me. I, you know, there's a turning lane and there's a lane where I could go straight and I need to make a left. So I went up the, the lane where I could go straight and just hope to kind of cut someone off and, and make a left into the parking lot. Um, the cop stopped me and was like, listen, he's like, you just need to wait for these guys to go through. I was like, that's fine. I'll wait. You know, you under, I was like, I just need to get to work. I need to park my car. He stops me. Everyone goes through and he, he still holds me. And so it's a red light and the next green left, uh, left signal goes on. Um, he still stops me. Okay, great. Well, he's, he's, he's making me, he's punishing me and that's fine. As long as I get to park, uh, I just need to get to work. Um, not trying to get to a tailgate. Um, just trying to look at the defensive lineman that LSU was working with. And turns out they changed the defensive line rotation. So it was important to be there. Uh, karma. Finally, the, uh, the green light turns and he goes, all right, go. Oh, all right. So I go to make a left and he, he screams at me. I forgot to mention, he sat on the hood of my car for uh, about 10 minutes. Um, I don't drive a very nice car, but I, it is fairly new. I'd appreciate if no one dented my hood. Um, he gets off the hood of my car to wave me to go, and I go to make a left, as I've wanted to do for the past 20 or so minutes. And he starts screaming at me to, to go straight. And I said, excuse me, officer. I was like, you told me I can go left. And he, he said, if I go left, and he threw a couple of expletives in there and was screaming, but we're on a podcast. I'm going to keep my level head together. He was like, if you go left, um, bleep, 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 you know, I'll ticket your bleep, 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 bleep. So I was like, okay. Now I got a little angry. I went straight, made an illegal left, and turned right around and made a right into my parking lot. So I was okay, you know, for the LSU fans out there that were following me on Twitter to go through my path. But 
I just felt like this, this officer had a little bit of a grudge. Um, not really appreciative of the attitude. If, if I could have went straight, I could have went straight, you know, 20 minutes ago and we could have made that illegal left turn earlier, but it's like, come on, man. Like what, what are we going for here? So how, when you walked into the stadium, how much time was there till kickoff? Oh, well that's, if you were to look at it that way, there okay. was, there was about an hour and 15 minutes till kickoff, but you and I both know that, um, you need to eat a little bit of something before this four hour CBS game comes on and you know, you got to put your bags down. It was supposed to be a 70 degree day. It was 82. So I'm sweating. Um, I need to kind of settle yourself, have some water and then go onto the field. You know, it's just, it's just part of the routine. And there's so much traffic, which is great for LSU and it's great for Georgia fans that, that made their way to Baton Rouge. But like, I still need to do my job. And you told me what I could do. And then you went against that after you sat on my hood for, for 10 to 12 minutes. Let me tell you something. I would be in jail if that happened. As you, <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows that. I think you have been around me and listened to me. You, I think you know that. Now, this is something that is not discussed. Well, I mean, we're off topic here. Now, you are also you're from the Northeast. Where are you from? Pennsylvania or, or I New forget. York, Long Island. New York. Do you did you go to school in Pennsylvania? Is that what it is? University of Maryland. Oh, you went to Maryland. Okay, all right. For some reason, I thought you went to Penn State. Anyway, that was my secondary uh, school. Uh, <laughs> that was your fallback. <laughs> how, often, how often do you find? That because you don't have a southern accent and you're a fast-talking New Yorker, which I also talk the same way because my mom is from New York and I inherited, uh, you know, that that type of speaking. People don't people often think I'm, you know, from the Northeast instead of from Oregon. Uh, how often do you feel like Southern people, especially cops, you know, hold it against you because you're, you know, a fast-talking Yankee and not a, a nice Southern person? Now that isn't something I would I would tend to blame it on. I think it's just the not not the way I, the the speed that I that I talk at. Just they they can sense that I'm not from there. I guess that is part of it then. But you know they, they can just tell that I'm not from New Orleans, and I everyone will be like, oh where oh where are you where, you know where'd you go to school? And that's not something that people in the Northeast or or in Oregon they don't say where where'd you go to school? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, Smithtown West High School uh, on Long Island, and they would just look like I like I uttered Chinese, and it's, it's they can just they know that I'm not from there. And it, yes, you're right; they do hold a grudge. I've gotten tickets all over Louisiana. I've fought them all, and I've lost all of them. Um, but it's it's yes, it does come with the territory of not of living for almost a decade in a place that you're not from. But I still I still claim Louisiana as my own. Yeah, I just find it. I find it in the football world too. I think coaches uh, who are really southern sometimes be like, you know, who, who's this? Who's this Yankee? And I know it happens to Rob uh, Cassidy, who's also uh, from New York. Uh, he, of course, he's also got an attitude. So I think it just it, it, the attitude is part of it. But I do think when you live in a place where you don't talk like the other people, uh, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt, especially you. You know, I, me, I definitely even when he started yelling, I would have cut through and I would have made him chase after me to give me the ticket. Um, the, that's the, me. The issue is I'm currently fighting two tickets already. <laughs> and I am in Baton Rouge a lot. I would say, you know. About fifty percent of my week, I'm in Baton Rouge. But like, how do I factor in a, a? How do I explain to Jimmy that I'm missing Orgeron's 
20 minute press conference because I'm fighting a, a third ticket. I mean, that's the issue. And like, we, we both know Jimmy. Is Jimmy going to go to Orgeron? Like, I'm going to, I have to be there. So I chose, I just made my own illegal left and I didn't get a ticket for it. Well, I'll tell you what Jimmy would do. Jimmy would already have the judge in his pocket. <laughs> and have to go that's, that's what Jimmy would do. He would um, tweet the judge. Right, exactly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, let's go real quick. Ohio State, 30-14 to 14 over Minnesota. They struggled in this game. Haskins put up big numbers, but this was a game where I think they people thought they were going to blow them out. It was 17-14 uh, to 14 at halftime. They shut out Minnesota in the second half. Minnesota is not a great team, so I think Ohio State just kind of is in sleepwalk mode. It's, it's so, sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, these are kids and – Nobody's looking forward to playing uh, Minnesota on Ohio State, and I think they're gonna. That's going to be the case for them over the next few weeks. Purdue has been winning games; they're sneaky. Nebraska uh, is showing signs of life, and basically, Ohio State's going to have to fight that malaise all the way until the Michigan game because they don't really play a whole lot of good teams uh, down the stretch. So we don't got to talk about that one. That was <laughs> that was. <laughs> you got nothing to add, right? You know, it's just, it's, I feel like it's just an elongated hangover from the Penn State win. They struggled early against Indiana, picked it up, kind of back in sleepwalking mode against Minnesota. And you, you mentioned it. It's, it's on to Michigan State in a couple of weeks. Probably they're really nervous about the Terrapins and the Fighting Canadas. And then obviously Michigan is the only game that's really left on their schedule. Right, exactly. Uh, Notre Dame was in a dogfight with Pitt. They were favored by 21.5 points in this game. Instead, Pitt had the ball with the chance to take the lead and win the game essentially in the fourth quarter. They ran this ridiculous fake punt, which was highlighted. Uh, they, they had Jeff George Jr., who's the third-string quarterback, come into the game wearing that number 96. He was wearing a jersey that's not his normal number, didn't have a name on the back. They ran a fake punt with him. He ran sideways and threw an incompletion. And it was one of the stupidest plays. And, and Mike Tirico on the broadcast was livid that he didn't know who number 96 was. And he was trying not to be mad about it. Like He was like, boy, the mysterious number 96, not listed on the travel <laughs> roster. And, and he was like, he was like, Pitt's a very good sports information staff. And then he mentions the SID by name. And he's like, he wouldn't leave somebody off of this roster knowing that we're on the air trying to identify players. Like, <laughs> so Mike Tirico is subtweeting the, the, the Pitt SID on air. Yes, you know, it do you was... know that Mike Tirico, and hopefully this doesn't offend anyone. Mike Tirico, you know, considers himself a, a deep Italian. I didn't know that. No, I you should no look idea. that up after the podcast. It's it's a great story. It'll it'll cheer your mood up more than your <laughs> Dame hanging on by five points against Pitt at home. <laughs> yeah, that's a brutal loss. And as mentioned, you know, on mentioned on my Twitter feed today, UCF murdered Pitt when they played. Uh, so I think that that goes out warranting. Obviously, we'll talk about UCF in a little bit, but uh, uh, who who did not move up in the rankings despite four teams ahead of them losing, which I thought was pretty crazy. Um, this was obviously another you know sleepwalk city. Notre Dame got lucky to get out of this one alive, and now they got Navy coming up in a few weeks. They got a buy. Luckily, they get a buy to prepare for the triple option. Uh, they still have to play Florida State and USC, and I, th- I, don't, I think Notre Dame is good. I, I think they need to be more consistent running the ball. And uh, this was the first game where Ian Book kind of came back down to earth. But I still think they're in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, assuming uh, nothing crazy happens down the stretch. But this shows that, like, you know, we we never know 
what's going to happen when uh, when Notre Dame, you know, is not in a conference and has to play all these random teams like Pitt, who, like I said, they should have killed. Yeah, I think you know you would look at you said it the Florida State game, the USC game, they should handle business in theory, but a, a, a close win over Pitt like this makes you makes you wonder. Are they cap- they're susceptible to a to a slip up along the way? So those games are highlighted a little bit more because of this particular game. Can they kind of hold fort against those inferior teams, but capable of beating them as well? All right, moving on. West Virginia loses uh, thirty to fourteen at uh, Iowa State. Iowa State has just become you know this used to be back in the day it would be a Thursday night game. Texas would go lose at Iowa State or something. Right. And now it's on Saturday nights. Those night games at uh, Iowa State are not to be messed with. And the, the you know they wore the they they wore the blackout unis, which were kind of weird because they didn't really have any. I'd like them to see them put like that gold or yellow, whatever their second color is, more prominently featured on those black uniforms. But they you know Brock Purdy comes in. This is a guy who now it's easy for us to forget. Because I was like, where did this guy come from? He was a 5'5", five, five, three-star. If you remember, he had a huge season last year. He looked like he was going to go to UCF uh, when Frost was still there. Iowa State comes in and gets him in it. Alabama offered late. A bunch of schools came in late and offered him. He sticks with Iowa State. And he was the third stringer. And now, I mean, he's been a revelation since he comes in. He can run. He can throw. He killed the West Virginia defense and uh, – you know, as did Akeem Butler, their big wide receiver. Iowa State is, you know, just three and three, but they're a team that nobody in the Big 12 wants to play. And now West Virginia is going to be scrambling from here. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine, though? Because if he did go to Alabama, which, are, you know, off the off the bat, we thought maybe they would Alabama would have a chance. They got him on campus relatively quickly after uh, offering him. Tua, you know, is dealing with an injury, and we don't know his status. And, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine. Um and yeah, you know, they got Jalen Hurts, but can you imagine if Brock Purdy came in for Alabama and picked up where Tua left off and he led Alabama to beat LSU and, and so on and so forth to the college football playoff? That'd be kind of a cool story. Um, probably a better story than, you know, they beat West Virginia, which I think for upset purposes, a lot of people saw this as one. Iowa, Iowa State did this a ton a year ago. Um, it's a difficult place to play. Um, West Virginia, where was the offense in the second half? But uh, Brock Purdy on Alabama would be a lot more interesting this particular scenario, just beat West Virginia. But could you imagine if he was replacing two in the lineup now with, with those weapons? Right, exactly. Instead, Mac Jones lives to see another day as he uh, was once he was once again one snap away from having to come into the game, which uh, I don't I don't know if that was ever his intention. But I know I would be very happy if Mac was uh, playing for them. And, and I think Iowa State, like I said, nobody wants to play them. West Virginia can easily recover here. They just th- this has been kind of the West Virginia mode over the last few years. They're they're good enough. But, uh, you know, they start the season hot and then they go on the road and they lose these puzzling games. They struggle against good teams. They still have to go at Texas and then that that brutal stretch to close the year at Oklahoma State uh, and home for Oklahoma. doesn't look as bad as it once did because Oklahoma State is obviously struggling. But, uh, you know, they, they're, still, they're still alive, but uh, I don't know. I'm not as, I don't have as much faith in them as I did uh, coming in. Yeah, I don't, have of- of, I don't have a lot of faith in the Big 12 altogether. I thought West Virginia was probably the conference's best chance if they were able to kind of run the table. Uh, and then, of course, this happens in, in Ames, Iowa. So the Big 12, this, this, this is the story every year with the exception of when Oklahoma is really, really, really good, which they're not really, really, really good this year. 
but uh, that probably folds the chances of a, of a Big 12 representative in the, the Final Four. All right, moving on. Uh, speaking of conferences, that might not have a team in the playoff. The Pac-12, Washington loses uh, 30-27 to at number 17, Oregon. A game I predicted on this podcast on Friday. I told you, bet the Oregon money line. They're going to win. Uh, they made it a little closer than expected. It went to overtime, but Oregon played the win, and it uh, was very impressive. They were just killing Jake Browning all night. He just he was getting hit left and right. And uh, Oregon's new identity, uh, this game was obviously going on the same time as, as you were at the LSU game, Sam, but so you didn't see it. But, I mean, Oregon's killing people. They just got maulers up front. Two of their offensive linemen got hurt in the game. It didn't matter. They lost their left tackle and I think their right guard, and it didn't even matter. They just kept running it. I mean, I was actually complaining uh, as I was watching the game. You were complaining about something? Yeah, I know. Hard to believe. I was complaining because I wanted them to let Herbert throw more. He had he was eighteen of thirty two for two oh two and two touchdowns. Uh they ran the ball forty nine times. So that tells you uh, you know, the forty nine to thirty two is in the play selection in a game that they went to overtime. Several Washington running backs got hurt. They kind of were rotating people through. Washington just doesn't seem to have a playmaker at wide receiver. They have a really good tight end in Drew Sample. But after seeing Washington twice this year, especially I had to see him once in person as I went to the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, they just don't have that that weapon at wide receiver, and I think that's that's really what's holding them back. They're still going to have a good year, but to think that they were going to make the playoff, it just their schedule just didn't break right, and now they got two losses. Oregon, on the other hand, should be undefeated. They blew that Stanford game, one of the most ridiculous losses ever. Uh, so many things had to go wrong. Said they're five and one. I think they moved inside the top ten. Did they? Oh, no, no, they didn't. They were one of the few teams that didn't jump UCF in the rankings. Um, <laughs> not, not yet. There's still time. <laughs> right. They will. Believe me, they will. Uh, it doesn't matter if UCF wins every game. So uh, big win for Oregon. I continue to think that Herbert is the best quarterback that I've seen in terms of an NFL prospect. I don't know if he leaves. I don't know if he goes. But you compare him to Drew Locke or Jared Stidham or whoever, you know, Throw whoever you want it there. Haskins, I think, is his main competition. I think Herbert stays. I think Haskins goes. I think Haskins is the number one pick. Uh, so mark that down. Put in your bets now, Sam. I have no idea what you're <laughs> even talking about. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, Texas, they beat Baylor 23-17 to in a game that was very close down the stretch. Baylor had a chance to win the game. I think they had two or three passes into the end zone late. Jalen Hurd, former five-star running back at Tennessee, is now somehow the best receiver in the country. Have you had a chance? To, have you had a chance to watch Baylor at all, Sam? No, no, no. Let me tell you something. Jalen Hurd is a monster. He lost like twenty-five pounds and moved to wide receiver, and nobody can stop him. Uh, it's it's crazy to see how good he looks in that Baylor offense. You mentioned the Big Twelve potentially being dead in the playoff. I think if Texas wins out. They're going to have a real shot because people want Texas to be good. And that loss to Maryland stings, but Maryland keeps winning games. You're alma mater. That's right. You, they so, actually can't lose. They they physically can't. And when Ohio they play Ohio State, I worry about the Buckeyes. Yeah, so uh, there you go. Put, put that seed in there. So Texas – Texas. I don't, I'm not worried about the Buckeyes. I, w- I wish we could talk about it. Is it. Maryland is not ranked, correct? No, no, and they don't deserve to be. Well, let me tell you something. Byron Cowart, the former number one overall player, I wrote about this in my column. He was dominant in that Rutgers game. I had the game on because uh, I may have had an interest in whether the game went over uh, or not, which it did. Of course. Uh, (laughs) And uh, 
Cowart was just killing the quarterbacks. He had two sacks. One of them got wiped away on a questionable horse collar penalty. He had an interception. He had another tackle for a loss, and he looks like he uh, he's loving life. You weren't you weren't around to see him that much when he was a, a recruit, right? No, no, I didn't. I didn't cover him very much. Man, he was. You want to talk about camp miss? He'd come to name the camp. He'd come and dominate it. He came to the Under Armour game, would just kill people in practice. And he just lost his confidence when he got to Auburn. He looks like he finally has it back. And uh, I think he's going to end up going to the NFL. Not this year. He's going to, I think he's going to stay an extra year, assuming that uh, a lot of that staff comes back. And I think it's going to be... Uh, I think it's going to be the right move. Uh, moving on to UCF, we mentioned them. They went 31-30. to 30. They were down. At one point, they were down 32. Let me see. What was the score? Uh, they were down 30-14, to 14, I believe, right? 30-17? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, so they were down 30-14. to 14. They get the ball back and do a, they do like some super quick drive before halftime to make it 30-17 to 17 at half. Mm-hmm. And uh, – I'm trying to remember that. Let's let's look at that that drive before halftime. Um, it was oh, it was two minutes, so it wasn't as long as I thought it was. But they they got that they get that field goal right before halftime, and that makes it thirty to seventeen, and that sort of sets the tone. The it was storming. It was like a torrential downpour. They were showing the water just pouring down the Liberty Bowl. All the fans left, and UCF comes back to win it behind Mackenzie Milton. They get a few stops. The craziest play of the game. You did not see this. UCF had a UCF had a fourth and one from its own twenty nine yard line in the second half. They went for it, and it was like. Uh, remember in, back in the day in Madden where you'd go for on fourth down and you'd run goal line and your friend would also run goal line? Yes. And if, if the first guy didn't tackle the dude, he was gone. Of course. Because <laughs> we always use exactly, Michael Vick as our quarterbacks. <laughs> right. That's exactly what happened in whatever running back uh, UCF had in. It was, it was their power back and he broke loose and he was gone. And it was over from there. Uh, UCF wins 31 to 30. They continue their uh, unbeaten streak, which I believe is now at uh, either 18 or 19 games right. in a row. It should be 19. Uh, yeah, 19 games in a row, which is crazy. They go to ECU next week, which is never an easy game for them. They always trip up there. And I think all signs are pointing to Cincinnati uh, later in the year. Cincinnati is still undefeated as well at 6-0. and So that is going to be a fun game down the stretch. UCF, as I mentioned, four teams ahead of them lost, and they get jumped in Oakland, which is fine. Listen, if you say, hey, you know, so-and-so team won, <laughs> they, they deserve to be ahead of UCF. The craziest thing that happened is Oklahoma did not play. UCF goes on the road and beats Memphis closer than it should have been sure. Uh Oklahoma jumped UCF, went from 11 to 9. And that's what the point I was making today on Twitter is it's insane that a team could not play, the team right ahead of them could win, and they get jumped. Don't you think that's weird? Yeah. I mean, they. I think it's the fact that they're so bravos about the fact that they are undefeated. They're always going to be undefeated because they are the best of their class, which is, you know, something commendable. And they did beat Auburn last year, so I give them credit. But, like, maybe they believe it in their locker room. But if you gave them tr- truth serum, like, oh, we're as good as Alabama is, like, like would, would they go to, to Death Valley and beat LSU? Would they go to on the road to, to Michigan and beat Michigan? Would they – if they played Oklahoma ten times, would they win all ten times? I like the story, and I enjoy it at certain points because I love the fact that – 
you know, statistically we are as good as anyone and our record reflects that. But, you know, I'm I'm a realist, you know, that um, it's, you're just, you're the best of your crop. So let's just tamper it down. But, you know, maybe against this Oklahoma, they would put up, you know, 40, 50 points. Well, here's the, here's the only, the only thing I I said that I don't think UCF would be favored against any of the top 10 in a neutral site game. However, these are the same exact people who decided last week, you decided last week that UCF is better than Oklahoma. Oklahoma did not play and UCF won. How is Oklahoma now better than UCF? Very political, very political. Right. Uh, UCF is still ahead of Oklahoma in the coaches poll number nine. I promise you when that college football playoff ranking comes out in a few weeks, when is the first one? Do you know? It I don't know. It should be like around week. Should be after maybe after next week. Let me or check. The, or, uh, or after the first week of November. Yeah, let me check last season and I'll see when it came out. It might be week 10. Um, either way. Yeah, week 10 is the first college football playoff okay. ranking. Because last year, Georgia was number one, Alabama was number two. They did a pretty good job on that one, huh? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> uh, but my point is, they will not be in the top 15. I bet they will be below 15. And uh, then maybe they'll win some favor back with people like you. who uh, with the Because the national championship thing does get annoying. It right. really gets annoying uh, in my own house here. But a lot of it is tongue in cheek and that is what makes it a uh, high comedy in my opinion. That's why I love it so much is that, you know, they're really sticking it to people, especially I mean, the, the, I mean, AD. if you have all your choices of these two lost teams for the fourth spot, if, if that's what it comes down to stick UCF in and then let them have their chance to prove it against number one, Alabama and let, let the, the box score reflect they speak for itself. That that's the solution. And then once they lose to Alabama, all right, go your your undefeated streak is is over, and you got demolished. Continue on with your program. <laughs> Not that I had any awesome. I had a great time at UCF when uh, when I visited uh, last year. At some point, I don't even remember. I think I saw well, Justin. Who is the receiver that just went to Florida? Justin Watkins. Yeah, I got to see him, and he played on UCF's campus. Uh, he, uh, I think, got arrested. Right, <laughs> right. Unfortunately, that did not work out. But he was, he also got injured when I saw him, which I always feel like I'm a bad luck charm when I go see recruits from other states. Yeah, well, I was there. We were standing side by side. We watched Terrace Marshall uh, break his leg. That, last year. I was just talking about that the other day, and that that killed me because then remember Justin Rogers jumped down from the from the stands, and I was like, Justin, stop on your crutches and your like nearly torn ACL or fully torn ACL, like nearly death-ridden ACL, and he's running down to save his friend. I mean, it pained me to see. But uh, thank God they're both healthy now. All right. Yeah, they are healthy. Hopefully, guess what? Justin should be playing if he's healthy because uh, Sean Robinson stinks uh, as as a <laughs> as a trend on this podcast, uh, which, by the way, you don't know this, that that uh, Gary Patterson blocked Nick Kruger on uh, Twitter over Sean Robinson's ranking. Well, so. well, thank God he's not covering the entire state of Texas anymore. So at least he has some some freedom now. Right. He's not, he's not covering anything as far as we're concerned uh, since he <laughs> since he left us. See you, Nick. Uh, moving on, in a very well, it was supposed to be a very good game. Michigan beats Wisconsin, thirty eight to thirteen. This game was not close at all. Michigan killed him. Shea Patterson uh, running all over the place. He broke a long run. He didn't need to do much in the air. He only had one hundred twenty four yards passing. But Michigan's defense looked great. 
Wisconsin. You want to talk about a team UCF would beat? UCF would beat Wisconsin by 35 points. Maybe. There's no, maybe. No, I promise you. There's no way that Wisconsin should be. Do you know how much team <laughs> speed UCF has compared to Wisconsin? BYU made Wisconsin look slow, okay? So I'm sorry, Wisconsin. I, I love you. You guys do a great job of making us look bad in the rankings. But uh, this is just not uh, – this is not a top 25 Wisconsin team. And I argue that – it's between the Pac-12 South and the Big Ten West, I guess it would be, for the worst division uh, in all of Power Five. Uh, maybe you throw the ACC, whatever. Just the coastal. entire ACC. <laughs> right, Coastal, whatever you want to call it. I promise you that if UCF was in that division, they would win it. Uh, so mark that one down. That's Michigan, fair. That's fair. Michigan, on the other hand, uh, they're rolling. I picked them to make the college football playoff. They're six and one, and they still have a chance. You mentioned the you know a crazy scenario in which we had multiple two loss teams. I think if Michigan wins out and beats Ohio State, they're going to have a shot, and they are getting better every week. And I continue to tell people when Tariq Black comes back, and Coach Brown told us that he would be back at some point. He will be the key to their season and kind of put them over the hump. Uh, you got anything to add, Sam? I just like what Jay Patterson is doing. I like that. I honestly, after week one, I, I texted my buddy, a, a Michigan fan. I was like, you know, how much kind of wiggle room does Harbaugh have? I mean, I know he's an alum, so he gets a little bit longer of a window. But I, w- I was not impressed with he's, what he's done. I mean, the biggest thing he's ever done is climb trees and, and go after recruits in unique fashion. But I don't think he's done anything on the field that's kind of been like he's an elite college football head coach. And that's part of the Nick Saban mantra is that, if you don't win in two or three years, you're not good, which is not true. Um, but I've been really impressed with what they've they've done the last couple of weeks. And I think beating a 15th ranked Wisconsin, whether they're really good or just, you know, a top 25 team or a top 30 team, it is impressive uh, regardless. And I'm really looking forward to the, the finale against Ohio State. Yeah, and I think now it's easy to look. If you remember that first game, we didn't even know if Notre Dame was good, and you know now Notre Dame is number five or number four. Right. So losing to them by a touchdown on the road now is not a. It's not the worst loss. Michigan had the ball with a driving with a chance to tie the game on the last possession. So uh, that game was definitely overreact city. And uh, <laughs> and now Michigan is looking like, you know, uh, Nick was talking so much trash after week one because he picked Auburn and I picked, uh, I think I picked Michigan. Uh, and he was like, you know, Michigan stinks, Auburn's great. And now how the tables have turned since that happened. Complete 180. Uh, uh, Florida goes to Vanderbilt, wins 37-27 in a game that they were behind uh, for large portions. Derek Mason and uh, Dan Mullen almost got in a fight. Did you see the video oh, of that? Oh, yeah. That got, a lot of traffic gave me a lot of time to go on Twitter. I was watching the game live, and I got so excited. Uh, and one of the downfalls of my multi-TV setup is I do not have a DVR that I can rewind. And I wanted to rewind it so bad because Todd Grantham was cussing. And uh, it was great. They hugged it out after the game. The weirdest thing that happened was – Okay, so Vashawn Joseph, who's a starting linebacker for Florida, I think they're a leading tackler. Mm-hmm. He like suplexed a guy in the in the first half, right? I mean, it was like they were blowing the whistle because whistle uh, forward progress was stopped, and he literally picked up a guy and slammed him. It looked like a wrestling move. Uh, he gets an unsportsmanlike conduct. So when the fight breaks out between the two teams, they because Vanderbilt's players came on the field and the coaches were fighting, they assigned both teams. Every single person gets an unsportsmanlike penalty. Normal, right? Perfectly normal. 
And because that happened and Vashon Joseph already had one, he got ejected. That's a tough <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even do anything. He was just <laughs> on the sideline, but because every player got one, he got ejected, which led me to believe, what if there was another brouhaha between the two teams? Does every single player in the game get ejected? What, what in, a stu- in theory, yeah, which would have been amazing. Right. So I was trying to figure out on Twitter and there was a person in the press box tweeting at me and he said, that's how we understand it. They haven't, under- they haven't explained it to us. They didn't explain it to- on the broadcast at all. But uh, Florida came back. Once Keyshawn Vaughn went out of the game, he's Vanderbilt's uh, best player who for some reason doesn't get more than 10 touches a game. I have no idea why. This was the game looked like they finally decided, hey, we need to give Keyshawn Vaughn the ball more. I think he got a concussion and had to leave the game. So, so Vandy's just you know struggling along. They're three and four. Still, their goal is bowl eligibility in Florida, you know, now on the cusp uh, of the top 10, just a matter of time before they pass UCF in the rankings as well. Deservedly so. <laughs> I think UCF, <laughs> I would take, I would take UCF minus six in that game. Uh, Ooh, that's a, that's a nice line. I, w- I would say it would be seven, seven and a half would be like probably the juicy one. <laughs> Not that well, I don't know I, anything about this. I'm just, I'm just spitballing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, moving on, Miami loses at Virginia, uh, sixteen to thirteen. Huge win for Virginia. Miami falls to five and two. They continue to look like uh, you know it's it's not quite their year. They just don't have a quarterback, and that's the thing. They're they're viewed as the favorite for Jaden Hazelwood, the uncommitted five star decommitted from Georgia. He's you know what his three main options are: Georgia, Miami, and Auburn. And uh, if I'm a Georgia fan, I feel better every week about him coming back into the fold because Miami, you know, is struggling. Malik Rozier came in. I don't know if Nikosi Perry got hurt or was just ineffective. He was, oh, and he was, he was three of six with two picks. So uh, that tells you all I need to know about how he played. And Malik Rozier was not much better. 12 of 23 for 170, no touchdowns and interception. And they couldn't pass it. So, of course, they couldn't really run it. And a huge win. Bryce Perkins. <laughs> You want to hear the line of Virginia's quarterback, Sam? Sure. 12, 12 of 21 for 92 yards with three interceptions. That's your winning quarterback. It's a fantasy disaster. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Miami going – I mean, I'm, I look at everything from an LSU perspective just because that's my beat. But Miami and Auburn were the two signature top ten wins before Georgia for LSU. Miami looks like a train wreck just off the tracks now falling – you know, off a mountain and Auburn, and we'll get to Auburn next, losing to Tennessee is mind boggling in the SEC, right? No one loses the SEC. That's kind of their gimme in the in the SEC. Just come on. Where what is going on here? And but from a Jaden right. Hazelwood standpoint, if I'm Georgia, you're just counting the days until he pops back. And maybe he just wants to to do something oh, is he an all is he army game? He wants to do it at the at the at the game or if he's under yeah. armor, he can have you know the ESPN announcement. That's probably what he wants. It happens with big time guys. We know that. Yeah, I personally think if he wants to catch a lot of passes, I don't know if any of those options you know are fitting him. Look as at like Oklahoma. Some. Right. Yeah, he did take an official to Oklahoma, but you you never know. I, I just you know it's it's sort of puzzling sometimes that these kids get fixated on on a few schools and even though it might not be the best fit. Uh, potentially for their skill set. We'll see. Uh, I think, though, I think I put in my future cast for Miami because he decommitted right before his visit. And I thought, you know, hey, it's a slam dunk. But that, it's not so much of a slam dunk anymore. Miami's got to get quarterback figured out. Mark Rick, that's your your quarterback, man. Uh, that's your position. Uh, his brother, of course, is the quarterback coach. I don't I, 
I can't. I remember them having trouble. They were recruiting Michael Johnson Jr. in this class. Do they have a quarterback in the class of 2018? No, but they do have the kid from uh, I. Did, oh no, maybe he didn't sign. It's like this Arthur no, Sikowski even signed there. He go to Rutgers. No, he's the he's the horrible Rutgers quarterback. Oh yeah, I figured he would go back. He went back home. Yeah, they, that, they have oh, Jaron Williams. That's who I'm thinking of. They have Jaron Williams. Maybe it's time to hand it over to him. He was well, very good at the opening last year. I thought he better than your boy Trevor Lawrence, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. Jaron blocked me on Twitter, so that tells you. Uh, <laughs> well, that kind of, probably because of where you <laughs> ranked him. That, that tells you the kind of relationship uh, we have at this point. Even though I see him, he comes to my gym uh, sometimes uh, with Quincy Avery, our friend. I personally think he made the. If he would have stuck with Kentucky, he would be their starting quarterback right now, and they would still have the same record, if not better, because uh, you know I think he would have been a perfect fit at Kentucky. Instead, I believe he's fourth string. I think Cade Weldon is still ahead of him on the depth chart, so that's something uh, we need to watch. I know he was suspended for four games, but they didn't tell anybody. This is Miami's a mess right now. Uh, sorry, Hurricanes fans, uh, but yeah, losing to Virginia that is unheard of. Uh, real quick before we get to the Tennessee game, Colorado. Uh, previous undefeated goes to USC, loses 31 to 20. This was a game that I thought about staying up to watch. Uh, I went to bed at halftime because uh, <laughs> I just decided it, it, it wasn't worth it. Colorado accidentally went for two. I don't know if you heard this. Uh, they accidentally went for two because their coach didn't realize they scored a touchdown. Did you see that headline? No, and I'm very glad I did. I would I would be subtweeting the Colorado head football coach. Yeah, he thought it was first and goal, so he set, he called the play, and actually it was the two point conversion. Beautiful. <laughs> and they glad didn't get that, it. Glad so. that he's a high paid guy making those big uh, decisions. Yeah, did did uh, and his son got hurt during the game, which was a scary moment. I I did not like that uh, at all. UC, or excuse me, USC does not move back into the rankings. I don't think, which I thought they would based on that. Based on that, they're just outside. They're, they're 27th if you're doing uh, that kind of receiving votes, just a few spots back behind. Right behind Stanford and Washington State is the Pac-12, bringing up the rear there in the rankings. You mentioned Auburn loses at home to Tennessee. Tennessee's first win in the SEC since 2016. And this was a game that was lost solely by Jared Stidham. Uh, obviously, Auburn's offensive line didn't help, but he threw two just puzzling interceptions. The Auburn defense was really, you know, making up for the offense's woes. There was one stretch where they blocked a, a Tennessee field goal, got it with good field position. And on the first play, Stidham throws. And we're not talking like, hey, he throws in a double coverage. We're talking like he's stumbling around and throws it directly to the defender. Um, he did that once. There was another sequence where he and then like shortly thereafter he threw it directly to somebody else on a similar thing he fumbled it was a scoop and score in the fourth quarter and jared garantano was on it he was he was airing it out at 328 yards passing auburn inexperienced at db they've got no running backs and stidham isn't playing well and their offensive line isn't playing well so there's only so much that your front seven can do to save you as you've seen in your years of being around lsu and uh auburn is a sinking ship for sure. Yeah, and this is what the first time they're not ranked in like 127 years or something I saw today. Um, the team that I saw against LSU was, you know, not the elite of the elite in the SEC, but that second tier that they could they could have beat LSU and they, you know, they they could they beat Georgia a year ago. They could probably beat them this year. But now with all of those injuries, all that attrition, it's too much for them to overcome. 
I was starting to see some bright spots with this team with, with Stid, the way Stidham played, the way Anthony Schwartz is playing, and the way they're getting him involved with some speed out wide. But Stidham did not look like that dude, and he's playing for you know his future right now, which is kind of a scary sight as we turn to the second half of the season. Yeah, and I tweeted in the first half that Malik Willis, who's their backup quarterback, should get in the game just because the offensive line is playing so bad. And that didn't block you on Twitter, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't haven't checked. <laughs> uh, I know. Hey, Malik loves me though. Speaking of people that I see uh, around town, but uh, he lives here in Atlanta. I, I just think letting him run a little bit. Uh, and and that can make up for some of the offensive line troubles. We've seen that over the years with some teams. It's just, you know, you, me- you mentioned injuries, offensive line problems, and it's just it's, it's bad for Auburn. Uh, on the Tennessee side, though, this is a huge win for them because they were staring down this six-game gauntlet, uh, which, which I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to win any of them. They, they had Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina. Now South Carolina looks winnable. Obviously, they're, they're not likely to, to beat Alabama. But uh, now a bowl game at least is still there. They're 3-3. Three and three. They got South Carolina, Charlotte, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. They need to find three wins in there. You obviously give them one against Charlotte. So they need to find two against uh, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. And uh, I think they can do that. At least it's in the realm of possibility. They lost uh, Jonathan Kongbo, former five-star, who <laughs> famously committed to five different schools. Naturally. Naturally. Uh, uh, silently committed to he told every school he was coming of course was, i mean and it's becoming more and more popular each recruiting cycle yeah that that left the coaches to uh bother us to try to figure it out uh so so great win for tennessee i think like if you're tennessee or you're vanderbilt you're pointing to each other and be like man that's we're, it's going to come down to the last week with us needing to win that game to go to a bowl game uh real quick on friday night usf beats tulsa 25 to 24 USF doesn't make it easy. They are 6-0. and uh, I think they have a couple wins over Power 5 teams as well. I know they beat Illinois uh, and they beat Georgia Tech. So a couple nice wins. If you're a UCF fan, you're rooting for them to win every game, uh, you know, so you have an undefeated matchup. But I'm sure you have zero to add to Whoa, that one, Sam. that is my fiance's alma mater. So we are all Bull, Bulls, Bulls fans. We are Bulls oh, fans. We're Bulls in, Nation. In this house. <laughs> Except that we don't watch those games. Ah, uh, you're not a big fan of Blake Blake Barnett, former uh, oh, Rivals 100. Yeah, we, we know that name, but you know we, we, what we always do is before we go home for for Christmas to to Tampa, we we kind of read up on the Tampa Bay Lightning and USF. So Al, so Allison is all you know up to date on her sports because she's she's watching but not really paying attention. She's like, oh man, you know Blake Barnett. Who, <laughs> like, what time Blake are you coming Bar- home from LSU? Two thirty in the morning. Yeah, it's Baton Rouge traffic, and the cops aren't <laughs> doing us any favors. Yeah, we had uh, Blake Barnett at two hundred thirty-seven yards passing. He also ran for two touchdowns. So big shot to him. But if you look at the fun thing about USF is, especially if you, Sam, if you covered the state of Florida more, it's like a, it's like a, and and uh, Colorado's the same way for Texas. It's like a not a take, not a take, uh, greats of the past, you know. You have, <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have Blake Barnett, who obviously w- signed with Alabama, didn't end up there. Jordan Cronkite, who was famously not a take for everyone, Florida took him. He busts there and transfers. He had 151 yards rushing. Then you have 
uh, Tyree McCants, who I can't remember who he was committed to. He, he's a big wide receiver. You have Darnell Solomon, who was a five-star in the rivals rankings at one point uh, and ended up at USF. I think he might've been committed to Miami and their defense is the same way. It's a bunch of players, Ronnie Hoggins, who I loved uh, in high school, famous interception machine. Just, you just go down. There's a bunch of former Florida commits, former Miami commits. And that was what this, if you're smart, if you're UCF and you're USF, that's what you do. You go and take these guys like UCF's best wide receiver uh, was committed to Miami, was a four star, ended up getting dropped. And it's just because a guy gets dropped by a team in the top 10. That doesn't mean he can't play somewhere else. No. And I mean, that's it's become it's going to become it already has. It's going to continue to get more common with the early signing period. Um, You know, actually, you know, they haven't added chance to sign on a bigger team. So, you know, big power five teams can pay attention. I know like guy like Ardarius Washington who had 30 career interceptions for Evangel um, got dropped from LSU after the early signing period signed with TCU he could he that's a chance for him to make a big name at a power five school but you don't have to go to USF Um, there are other places available but it does give those schools a chance with with good guys I, I don't like the negative connotation associated with guys that are dropped it's because there are other four and five star guys or guys at least the school assesses as better um, on their board and they have to take doesn't mean that those players that they drop are necessarily bad players. So um, it's just something to keep an eye on with the early signing period and and this extra month to kind of gather the pieces. All right. And last wrapping it up real quick, uh, Texas A&M goes to South Carolina, wins a game 26 to 23. Uh, Kellen Mond, have you seen uh, you know a better progression maybe since high school and since over the past 12 months Jimbo Fisher really turned him around he's turned into quite the passer 25 of 37 for 353 in high school he basically ran the single wing in IMG if you remember yeah I had a chance to actually see him when he was at IMG with Grant Delpit and Jamon Osbin and they're obviously teammates now at, at A&M and you know I never thought he was anything you know, out of this world when he was at IMG, that he wasn't this, you know, bona fide playmaker. Um, But I I was proven wrong here. He's doing great things at Texas A&M. He's got all the weapons in the world uh, left over. And Jimbo Fisher obviously is known for being a quarterback's guru, um, doing great things with Kelamon, and he's operating that offense. They are one of the teams that even if LSU gets over the hump with Mississippi State and and, and even – whether they beat Alabama or not, I mean, I'm not even going to try to predict that. Texas A&M is still a formidable opponent because of what Kellen Mond brings to this offense. And South Carolina is now 3-3. Three and three. I really thought they were going to have a much better season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've already played five conference games. That's that's part of it. Uh, they've only had one non-conference game. The Hurricane uh, canceled the game against Marshall, I think. So they've had a tough go of it. It's kind of a lost season for them in terms of uh, we, their hopes. Uh, the one thing that could be good for them could be getting Jake Bentley to come back for another year. He struggled. He's been injured. He did have uh, 200 yards passing and three touchdowns, but he just doesn't look the same. He's got a history of uh, knee issues. When he was younger, let me tell you something. You want to talk about a dual threat? Uh, you know, he could run around like crazy. He just doesn't have that quite that that scrambling ability he had at one point. So, uh, you know, South Carolina is talented. I do think – you know, they need another year and they need a running back as well. They've that's one thing that they've yet to do. Their two running backs, you know, Tyson Williams, seven carries for 48 yards, Rico Dowdle, uh, seven for 19. So, you know, Will Muschamp doesn't want to have to be throwing the ball 35 times and running at 18. They need some more balance and 
they need to find a running back and they're still out, <laughs> I think, trying to do that uh, in this year's class. So before we go, Sam, we'll take a quick look to next week. Next week, kind of, uh, I would say, not a great week in the in the uh, the standings. I think uh, college game day is going to Pullman for the Oregon-Washington State game. Washington State sneaks into the rankings at number 25. Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State is number 24. That's a good game. Uh, did we talk? Did we did we skip over that game with Penn State? I don't remember talking about. Well, it's because Penn State is no longer relevant, but Michigan State, you know, coming out of nowhere, they're they're putting themselves in the picture, and it was a pretty big recruiting weekend. They had Darius Snow, one of the best DBs I see in the twenty twenty class on on campus. That was a big victory to get his attention. That you know, this is a guy that LSU wants a DB, and Michigan State had him on campus, and you you beat Penn State that. That's something that you remember. Yeah, I guess we should talk about it real quick. I don't know how I skipped over it, but uh, I watched that game relatively closely in the second half. And uh, Michigan State, they just – they really played to win, and that's that's what – it paid off. I mean, there was a few gambles there. They win 21-17, to 17, get a late touchdown. Miles Sanders is very good for Penn State. He's just uh, not quite uh, – Saquon Barkley, which nobody is, and Penn State. I think when they lost that game to Ohio State, it kind of sent it for a little tailspin. They did early in the year, you know, have that close call with App State. They're a good team. They're a top twenty team. I don't think they're a top ten team. Uh, and I think they'd they'd lose to UCF, which is our barometer uh, on this show now today. Yeah, it's, it's it's the median, right? Like, are you good enough to beat UCF, or or bad enough that you should be ranked below them? And I just wish we had a chance for all the teams in the top 25 to just play the Knights. And and let me be sure, I said the, I called them the Golden Knights last year or two years ago. And my mention, I mean, so many people got blocked in just in an hour span. Like, sorry, I did not know they are no longer the Golden Knights. From what I remember, they were the Golden Knights. They're just the Knights now. Well, back when I was in college, I broke the story when they changed their name. So uh, go search the uh, archives of the Central Florida future. If you I, I got you one. for a humble brag earlier. That is just a straight up brag. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> you think I'd be where I was today uh, if it weren't for breaking news like that? <laughs> breaking the nice. Uh, they dropped the golden. I forget what the headline was. I have it. I'm going to I'm gonna try to tweet that out. Can I, I guess the- Golden No More. Knights out to prove they can beat at least half the teams in the top 25. <laughs> it might have been. It might, Golden No More might be close. Golden I no think More it was kind of be- catchy in our old newspaper backgrounds. Right. It might have been gone to golden question mark, Knights to change name or something like that. I mean, keep in mind, these were students uh, writing the headlines too. So Yes. Uh, they weren't that great. Um, NC State plays Clemson next week, which NC State is undefeated. That's a sneaky good game. I still think Clemson uh, beats them by a lot. And then, of course, uh, your game, which you will be at, will. Mississippi State travels to LSU. We talked about that a little bit. That You think that one's going to be a dogfight? Yeah, and, I, you know, I again, because of LSU's track record this season, getting up for the big games, then also kind of, you know, starting slow and, and not being at 100%. You know, I know you're going to appreciate this. I saw a WAP. Uh, Devonte Jason and Keaton Thompson uh, at Landry Walker on Friday night, and they think that they have the best front seven in the entire country, and then they think they have a shot against LSU. And you know, those are kids that we, you and I have both known for a very long period of time. And obviously, they're not going to say that they think LSU is going to roll over them. But if LSU plays to the same level they played against Georgia, they should handle Mississippi State. Uh, 
but that's the thing about college football. That's the thing about LSU in particular is that it has to happen before we can fully buy in. And I picked Georgia to beat LSU, so I might, you know, maybe I'll just I, – I, I don't – I feel like I'm going to pick Mississippi State to win at the current moment before I look at the numbers tomorrow. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So there you have it. Something for Sam. Sam, if everyone wants to find you, uh, I forget your Twitter handle. I do follow you on Twitter, which is not the case for most of my guests. Burn. So, Total um, burn to you guest stars. Yeah. What, what's your Twitter? At Sam Speegs, S-A-M-S-P-I-E-G-S. All right. So if you're a, a Blue Lives Matter, uh, that's where you attack Sam at for his uh, <laughs> police hating. Me, my, 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 uh, Cousin Louis Falco is the uh, sheriff of Rockland County, so uh, right in your home state of New York. So guess what? I am. Uh, <laughs> I got one of those old cards. You know, in New York, they give you. See, that's what you need. Oh, that's my, the my dad has it. He brags about it all the time. I I haven't told him the story about this Baton Rouge police officer, and I probably won't because I don't have forty minutes to just deal with it. But but yeah, that that would be the secret. But. Even then, like, would they just make me like make my left turn? Like, do you understand that I have a job? I don't know. I'm getting fired well, up again. It's getting late, man. Just tell him to listen to the. Tell your dad to listen to the podcast if he, if he wants to. He hear doesn't know what a story. podcast is, Woody. My mom doesn't even know what I do. She has. I mean, she'll text me and be like, "Are you going to the Super Bowl today?" I'm like, no. <laughs> it's no. July third, mom. Um, yeah, my dad just asks if I'm ever on TV, and I'm like. Yeah, no, I'll be on TV tomorrow. Like, come on. Hey, I was on internet TV uh, this week on the Adidas Friday Night Stripes broadcast. That, that, that uh, stuff is cool, by the way. Yeah, alongside AJ Hawk. So go check that out if you want to see me uh, try to be funny on a broadcast. I don't know if I got any laughs. I tried, I tried, Did AJ I tried really anything? hard. Well, they they made me pop into the booth, so I was like, I feel like Mike Pereira, you know, when he pops up between like Joe Buck <laughs> stands and, uh, there for for sixty minutes to get three <laughs> minutes of airtime, maybe. Right. Situational. Right. So that's what I felt like, but uh, I did get positive feedback. So go watch that. It's on my Twitter feed. Follow Sam. Leave us a review on iTunes. This is a long. Uh, episode. Sorry, it's for so long. We will be back with a new episode on Thursday or Friday this week, hopefully me and Rob. So uh, tell a friend, leave a review, follow Sam on Twitter. Sam, thanks for joining me and I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, Woody.